Episode 103, The Listening Well. But that moment um, changed my life. I knew instantly that God was, in fact, in that experience. He had brought me to this point. He had brought me to the failure. He had brought me to the hunger where I needed a miracle. I became a different person. Welcome to The Listening Well, engaging you, the reflective American woman, in story, spirituality, and social spaces through the grid of God's grace. Here, we're out to grow and nurture a kingdom culture by cultivating the creative in you. Hey, love. I'm your host, Carthy Masters. Thank you for joining me today in The Listening Well. The voice you just heard in the teaser belongs to none other than Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen. It's the most talked about TV series of all time, the biggest crowdfunded project of all time, the indie show that has blown the doors and the ceiling off any recording, any record ever, anywhere. You've heard me talk about it here for months. The Chosen is just my favorite thing. And you're going to love hearing from Dallas today. He came in to encourage you and me with our respective creative projects. Whatever you're creating, because as we're always saying around here, you're always creating something. You can't not be creative because you were fashioned by a creator God, so it runs in your blood. So as you're doing your thing, don't worry about the end result, like how much money you'll make selling it or how many people will view it or whatever. Just be faithful to do the thing to the best of your ability. Today's guest is a great example of that. I didn't have the nerve to read him my TV show logline as I've been doing with the other pros that I've been talking to during this series. I don't know. I was just a little intimidated at first, I guess, and I I just kept thanking him for his time. (laughs) I thanked him, I think, like 12 times. So annoying. But then my alarm kept going off during our Zoom call because I had promised myself and him that I was um, trying to be diligent about keeping these interviews to about 30 minutes. (laughs) It's so unrealistic, but I'm trying. And But you know what? Sometimes it's just not going to happen. I kept asking him questions. I know from broadcast training, that is a big no-no, but I couldn't help myself. He just had the best stories, and he's such a gifted communicator. I hope you're okay with it going a little long today. I know you will be, because not one minute of this episode is a waste. Dallas is all heart. He's a born leader, and... He is so tenderhearted. He tells us about some of his influences, including his dad, Jerry Jenkins, who wrote the Left Behind series. There's a movie based on the books. Um, My husband actually played on the soundtrack years ago. But just between you and me, the books are better. (laughs) Dallas will give us some tips on leadership that will make us better creators, better parents, better everything. We discuss the role that his wife has played in um, the casting of his mega hit show. You may be hearing from the two other writers that he mentions and a couple of those actors here too. Just, Just keep it right here. Dallas starts off explaining the concept of impossible math. It just doesn't make sense that this show would bring in more funding once they released the whole series for free. But once they opened up access, they saw an explosion through their Pay It Forward program. 
He says today that they will probably be releasing a few episodes a year, but since the recording of this conversation, the overwhelming response to the show has brought in enough funding for them to start shooting season two immediately, and they're actually going to get to release it much earlier than planned. I'm so excited. At this rate, they're probably going to be able to release at least a season a year possibly two seasons a year. Oh, it's just beyond anything we could have asked for or imagined. It's pretty remarkable. He had no idea how fast this machine was going to be rolling. It's so exciting to see the hand of God moving like this. Here is Dallas Jenkins. Yeah, I mean, the show has been been growing slowly, and the response has been strong, and we knew that eventually the word of mouth would reach some sort of tipping point, or at least we, we hoped so. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we could project kind of a year ahead. I don't really do projections anymore. Uh, God has really, um, in my life, my whole, just the way I approach life in general is very different now. And he's so, done I, impossible math. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which we can, we'll talk about in a few minutes, but I, I don't, I, I just don't get into projections because they never work out anyway. And I don't even think they're my business. So um, that said, when the quarantine hit and I said, we should go ahead and make the show free. So all eight episodes, totally free all around the world. Um, no subscription, no fees, no nothing. And we also knew that because of the quarantine, people were uh, struggling with, I mean, even losing their jobs. So we thought the pay it forward program we thought that would slow down as well, that mm-hmm. we could potentially lose money during this time, but we thought it was worth it. And as God has done throughout this entire project, and that phrase impossible math keeps coming up, um, we have quadrupled our income every day. Wow. Since, um, Amazing. Yeah, it's been extraordinary. So we are now at a pace that we could be funding a season per year just from pay it forward alone plus more. I mean, it's just, it's been, it's been insane. So the why of that is, you know, again, I don't get too deep into the why these days. I just kind of trust what God is doing, but I think you can make assessments on the quarantine allowed people to do two things. One is they are looking for uplifting things. They're looking for they're, they're looking for hope. They're, they're, they're more tuned in to God than, than normal. But second is, of course, just having the time. Well, not people had time. So COVID, as, as sad as it is to say, has been a very, has been a boon for the show. And God has used this time to draw literally you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions around the world. Millions, I'm sure. The, the story of the show, of, of, of of Jesus in a way that we didn't anticipate on any level. Ah, it is extraordinary. Um, Have you heard projections, Dallas, that we may be within a decade of having the entire world have an opportunity to hear the gospel and make a choice for Christ? And this particular show could be playing such a huge role in that. It's (laughs) it's just, I can't even believe this is happening. Who would have ever dreamed? Yeah. And that's the, the fascinating thing is that, um, you know, I don't, I I don't know the, 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 the specific numbers, but I do know that the, the 
the app is in every country in the world. I mean, VidAngel, our partners, invented this technology that allows you Brilliant. to connect the show from your phone directly to your streaming device with no subscription required or anything. And, and that it works allowed, great. Yeah, no, and the technology is great. So that has allowed it to be easier than ever for people around the world. They can watch an in-depth presentation of the Gospels in, in a visual format that we know can oftentimes have much more impact than, than a sermon or someone yeah. reading something. So, and, it, and we're also hearing that more than ever, people are being drawn to Scripture uh, because yes. of the show. They're, the show isn't a replacement for Scripture. They're saying, oh my yeah. gosh, I want to pour into Scripture more than ever because of the show. Good. Now, what, what's happening is we're, we're trying to keep up with just language translation and making sure that we're taking advantage of the opportunities. That that. To you know, our goal is really within a year to have it translated into every conceivable language, if it, at least subtitled, and uh, that's happening. So, Amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it, what's ironic is my dad wrote a book series called Left Behind, which is you know, yeah. about the rapture in the end times. The reason I say it's ironic is because I just don't, I don't live my life at all thinking about or predicting what are the signs, when, when is it coming, are we getting closer to it? Mm-hmm. Um, not, not because it's wrong to do so. In fact, I think we should be living with hope and longing for Christ's return. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just have, I just have this framework of, boy, it's not my job to worry about how God is going to feed the 5,000 or how God is going to, what, what his plan is. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that what I'm doing and what he's putting in front of me, I'm doing to the best of my ability. And then mm-hmm. I'm really trying to focus on pleasing him. And then what yeah, he wants to do. You would be found faithful. Yeah. So what he wants to do with the apocalypse or the end times or, the, <laughs> or, or his return or when that is, or whether it's pre-tribulation, uh, mid-trib or post-trib, it's all, the, <laughs> all stuff that uh, my dad had fun with in his book series. But uh, I'm just focused on the stories of Jesus. Love it. Well, the humanity of Jesus is, is such an appealing thing. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. It's like the Bible has come alive for me in a new way. And I've read some of these gospels. I I became a Christian late in life. I was in my mid-20s, and I started working with the youth group at my church just so I can learn these Bible stories right alongside them. And usually I was barely a week ahead of them. And they knew so much more than I did, you know. But seeing these stories lived out just makes me want to dive into them again and again. Really, you know, just... Now that I feel like I know Matthew and I have a visual of who he is and Simon Peter and ah, these guys just come alive. And of course, Jesus, the way you've depicted Jesus is so relational, so real, just so beautiful. Our Jesus. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing that we work the hardest on um, in the show is, is giving humanity to all of these people, including Jesus. Yeah. Um, and it seems obvious, but it, it, it's something that as, as a believer who's seen pretty much every Jesus movie or miniseries, it's been hard for me to, to ever find a humanity, to ever to see Jesus as a, as a person who was worth following because mm-hmm. he, was, he was compelling and charismatic and um, I revere Christ. But mm-hmm. it was at the expense of any kind of understanding in many ways. Yeah, and I so, couldn't relate to him. Right, and, and so... The problem is that sometimes people overcorrect. And so you've seen movies like Last Temptation of Christ mm. or other projects that are, that are seeking to humanize him. Mm-hmm. And they go so far that they're, that they're violating the, the intentions of Scripture or the character mm-hmm. of Christ. And I think, I think um, 
what I think people are responding to is that even though there's a lot in the show that isn't from scripture, mm-hmm. it feels scriptural. Yeah, um, and that's yeah. because it's coming from someone in myself who does love the Bible and does love Jesus and does love the people in the gospels. And I have no intention of rewriting or changing what's there. I have no agenda. Right. Um, and I, I have no agenda in either direction, meaning I don't have an agenda. Like some people have, I've been accused of kind of both. I've, most people love the show, but there's been a handful of critics and, and some people are like, oh, the way that you treat women, it's clear you have some sort of progressive feminist agenda, um, which is the first <laughs> time I've, I've been accused of that in my whole life. But, and that, but then there's people who are like, oh, it's kind of a, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's the opposite. It's, it's an old school uh, evangelical fundamentalist agenda. And wow. I really don't have, I don't have an agenda either way. Yeah. Um, my agenda is, jo- is, is just solely to introduce people to an authentic Jesus and, and to make sure that what I'm doing is uh, honoring and faithful to the gospels and to what I believe God wants me to say about his children. So yes. um, that's all I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about. And I think that that's what people are responding to is that it feels scriptural, even when it isn't directly from scripture. And I want to add that you've done your research. I mean, you have a whole committee yeah, we did, we did roundtable discussions with the Catholic priest, a Messianic Jewish rabbi, and an evangelical scholar, uh, where I, t- I discussed each episode with them, like 30 to 40 minute in-depth discussions, and even on things we disagree about, because of course we disagree on some things, <laughs> and, um, and the things that even they thought that I got wrong, um, mostly little things, because again, I brought them in from the beginning, and if they had something significant that they thought was wrong, and they all agreed, I, I listened to that, but for the most part, it's all little things, and I and, and I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about where we disagree, um, and I think those conversations are healthy. And uh, that's been some of the most fun about this whole project is is I even just as someone who's been a believer my whole life, learning new things about the Bible, learning new things about other faith traditions that are different from what I assumed or yeah. or had heard, and realizing I have brothers and sisters in other faith traditions that I didn't really know. I, I, you know, I kind of assumed, oh, they, they believe so much different things than I do. And you go, oh, actually, when it comes to the stories of Jesus, we actually agree on quite a lot. And that's been really yeah. exciting. But just to find clarity with people of other faith traditions, even when we don't agree, um, mm-hmm. has, been, has been great. So uh, I, I learn something new all the time. I sometimes, am, in my doing my research, I look in the Bible. I'm like, I don't even remember this. I didn't know this was in there. Yeah. Wow, that's going to be great. So that's been really fun. It jumps out at you. I wonder, Dallas, which disciple do you identify with the most? Huh. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, this will sound like I'm trying to avoid the answer, but I, I, I really do. There's bits and pieces of each of the disciples that I identify with. Um, you know, I, I don't have, I'm not a temperamental guy. I, I'm not spontaneous like Simon is. My wife actually identifies a little bit more with Simon. What I do identify with is, his work ethic, his passion, mm. um, you know, but, but I'm not, I'm, I'm actually a pretty level headed person. Um, so I can identify with Matthew in that regard. Um, I, my, we portray Matthew as having Asperger's as being on the autism spectrum, which I'm very familiar with. My daughter's autistic. Mm. I have a little bit of Asperger's syndrome myself. It's very much in my family. So mm. I'm able to identify with a lot of that, but I feel like as, as a writer and as, as the primary creative force behind the show, um, a lot of my, myself comes out in each, each character. Um, and that's, that's how writing usually is. You, you, yeah. you tend to find those things um, from yourself and then you, you, you translate them through the lens of the, of the characters that you're writing. Um, so you, you kind of make them your own. Now, obviously, I, the person who's most difficult to do that with is Jesus. Mm. Um, but what you'll see when you watch the show, even just some of the, the humor in the show, 
Um, most of the, I mean, I have two other co-writers. Most of the humor in the show came from me. Um, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my piece of the, of the puzzle. Um, another writer, Ryan, is, is, he's the plot guy. He's really great with plot. Um, mm-hmm. Our other guy is really great with vision and, and history and Bible history and whatnot. And my, I tend to be the dialogue guy, kind of the character stuff, the humor stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it, a lot of that tends to come out. And I find myself identifying with all of the characters because I insert some of my own history <laughs> and personality into that. Um, I but, love the humor. It's so subtle. You got to really pay attention to some things, but just, you know, uh, the little things just make such a difference. Yeah. And I think it makes it more, I think again, it makes it more realistic and like life is, is when it doesn't feel like a big setup and a joke. It's just like little bits and pieces here and there, little bits of sarcasm that yes. makes, it feel more, makes it feel more authentic and real. Love it. There's that one line where he's, uh, you know, with uh, Andrew is uh, a bad dancer and, and <laughs> Simon says, Simon says, can you help him? And Jesus says, some things even I cannot do. Yes. And uh, it's so funny because again, there's been a couple oh, of people, a couple of people who were like critical of that line. Cause it, they were, they were saying, of course, Jesus is perfect and he can do anything. And I'm like, <laughs> Guys, come on. This is. Can't you take a joke? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's. that's, uh, And there's going to be more jokes like that because I think that's what. Yeah, good. We want more. Laugh about his own deity. I think it's funny. Brilliant. Well, for me, um, I identify with John for the woman at the well. And I tell you, that scene just meant so much to me. And a friend and I were noticing as we were watching through, you know, it's interesting. uh, You touched on how you treated women in your scripts. Um, Men, it seems like historically have always gone looking for God, Jesus, uh, some, some higher figure, but Jesus came to the women. He pursued the women. He pursued Mary at the bar. And I don't know, you know, if that's a fact or, but I could totally see him doing something like that, going where the sinners are. And then he came to the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah, and I think yeah. um, I would say that he does that with in the show with some of the men too. He goes to where they are, but where mm. it really stands out with the women because women didn't have the opportunity back then to to seek out uh, God in the same way that men did. They they weren't um, able to study the scriptures as they were growing up, so they they weren't right. able to kind of pursue him in prayer and in study the same way that the men did. And so in many ways, yes, they could pray. Yes, women were allowed to go to synagogue and, and, and sit in certain areas and, and listen. But, um, but they didn't have um, ministry pursuits. You know, you didn't see women. Right. Women couldn't be uh, uh, spiritual leaders. And so, and I think even today that, that, that happens uh, in many evangelical circles and, and including mm-hmm. my own where women aren't pastors. And so mm-hmm. sometimes that's looked at as a, as a big negative. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I think for a lot of women, including my wife, for example, who's an author and a speaker, um, but not yeah. a pastor, but not a pastor, but she, she sometimes says, I, I, I'm happy in my role. I believe this is right. But I sometimes feel like, yes, you Dallas are off doing the exciting ministry mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm doing, you know, I'm home with the kids and it's great and I'm happy to be a mom, but there are times when you feel like you're missing out on the big, the big moments. And, and I really wanted to speak to that in episode eight when yeah. Jesus goes to Simon's wife and I, we, scene. in that case, Jesus goes to Eden and says, I see you. And I know that your sacrifices are just as, as big as Simon's. And he, when he's sacrificing, you're sacrificing and you have a role to play in this. And he, like you said, he goes to Mary when, you know, he pursues her. And I think that's a metaphor for 
for life in general is how sometimes Christ pursues us. And when he first intrudes on our lives and says, that's not for you, which is the first mm-hmm. line that Jesus yes. speaks in the entire show. And that's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. When he says, that's not for you. We sometimes go, Whoa, get away from me. I want, I want what I know. Mm-hmm. And so My we comforts. run away. From Je- yeah. We run away from Jesus and he, but he, as, as we see in episode one, he keeps pursuing. Yes. Well, I would love to meet your wife one day because I kept thinking as I was watching through, uh, your wife has had a lot to do with the writing of this, or at least influencing you as you're writing this. Because there were times when I thought, it's like Dallas has gotten inside my head. And I've had friends say the same thing, you know, especially that scene with Eden. That was so strong. Yeah, well, my my wife doesn't, she doesn't speak deeply into the writing of the actual scripts. Mm. But here's where she where she has a big influence is um, she she writes and co-wrote the devotional book that yes, company, which has been on show. back order and I can't get it. I know. Well, you can get it on Kindle, but yes, it's been it, we sold out way faster than we expected. <gasps> I so know. That, the show's exploding and people can't buy the devotional. I know. It. It's been it's a bummer. Great. However, um, but I will say. It's, it's brilliant. And she, she, is, she is a beautiful, beautiful writer with amazing insights. And she's the one who over the last several years, um, God has really been pressing her um, in, in the word. I mean, he's been going after her, pushing her towards the word. And she'll, be, she'll, she'll share with me all the insights. And so we, we talk a lot about these insights. And I find myself when I'm writing, kind of bursting out of me sometimes is, is, is rooted in what God was giving to my wife um, weeks or months earlier. And in so fact, the whole, the whole lesson, the whole story behind the show, because I know we talked about it off air, but um, the whole story behind how this show was birthed and where God met me in my biggest failure yes. was he spoke to my wife first. And that's how it t- tends to be how it works with us, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in the casting. She's kind of the, she has a sixth sense, um, which I think a lot of women do about, about um, truth. And like, I think they can, they can, you know, when someone's auditioning, I think she, can, she just has a sixth sense about who's right for things. And, and I think God speaks to her in many ways, even more times than he does me. And so, and she uh, yeah. had a lot to do with casting Paris for Matthew. She was, well, yeah, almost exclusively responsible for him. He had cast, <laughs> she said, I think you should, you know, consider Paris again and audition him. And she, she kept pushing for it. And finally, um, we auditioned Paris again and, and God started to, to give me the oh. same kind of spiritual direction anyway, as he was Amanda. And, uh, and so then we were able to just make the decision and cast Paris, who's beautiful, absolutely beautiful as Matthew. Yes. It all worked out and uh, just how God wanted Amanda to make sure that it worked out. That's awesome. Well, Paris really, I told him, you just captured the essence of Matthew. And I could totally imagine him having Asperger's. We, we have someone in our family who deals with it too. So the way Paris portrayed him is so endearing. You just can't right. help but love Matthew. Right. <laughs> it's so even though great. even though at first you're not supposed to. In fact, a lot of right. people didn't like, didn't like him in episode one. But uh, but that's kind of the point: is we want to show the progression of of, of people. And Matthew wasn't a a, a likable guy at, no. at certain points of his life. But when um, but you want to you do want to root for him to get it and to see his. That's what this whole show is: is we're trying to yeah. show you how people get to the place where when God reaches through to them, it's a, it's a radical transformation. Yes. And in episode two, it just broke our hearts to see him think about going into his parents' house to enjoy Shabbat dinner and then backing out at the last minute. It just ripped our hearts out. So powerful. 
One thing I don't like about this show is anytime you fall in love with these characters this way, you can't help about think about what's coming down the road. So when I think about season seven, man, that takes my breath away. I just, uh, I'm dreading it. But I want to feel all of it. The older I get, the more I want to cry my eyes out and laugh my face off and experience all the, the gifts that the emotions are. And so when I think, you know, how, how much I'm, I'm dreading <laughs> what's coming down the pike for these disciples and, of course, our Jesus, I still want to celebrate, you know, because well, I know it, that in the end it all ends well. Well, and you're bringing up a really important point. Um, when I first started making short films and vignettes about, uh, about Jesus about five or six years ago, um, it's actually how I met Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus. Is like mm. that's I, ca- I met him when I cast him in the first short film I did for my church. Mm. Our approach to Good Friday services was different than maybe other churches. Is we em- I, maybe embrace is the wrong word, but we really dove into the pain, mm. and the service ended on a down note. I mean, we did not. We 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 all ever, we are you know fifteen thousand people over the course of two days, and seven services would show up, and we said you. you we, wear black. I mean, we treated it like it was a funeral service. Wow. And um, we didn't end it with hope. I mean, it was end, each service would end, you know, sad. And, and we wanted, well, we didn't want to, several reasons for that. One, we wanted to kind of try to put our, ourselves in the place to some extent of the disciples and where they were at at that time, but also to really not gloss over the, the pain and what Jesus did. And that it was extra, it was so gut-wrenching that he was crying out to his father for help. He was crying out to his father. Um, and, and so the, the, the importance of, of that is twofold. One, to recognize that even in the midst of that pain, Jesus was still forgiving others. He was still doing it. He still went through it. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think we as Americans especially can sometimes gloss over and rush through suffering. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when you look at the persecuted church around the world and what they go through and how beautiful it is, uh-huh. Um, what it does to them. And they um, count it a privilege. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, 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 we could use a little bit more of that, but, but number two is it makes the resurrection day that much more extraordinary. Woo! Yes. Um, and so we have people all the time now saying like you, like, Oh gosh, now that I know these people, like I do from season one, Man. I can't even think about um, the death. I can't, I, it's like, it's so painful and that's on purpose. I mean, that's the whole point of the show is yeah, we, take, yeah. we take moments from Scripture and we work our way backwards so that they are as emotionally impactful and spiritually impactful as they can be. And that includes the hard moments. Yes. And so, um, you know, it's gonna, it's, I'm not going to shy away from it and I'm not going to apologize for it and I'm not going to try That's to good. convince you that it's not going to be that bad. It's going to be good. that bad. Season seven yeah. is going to be um, brutal and it's going to be hard to watch and I think we need to get through it. Yeah. Season seven is going to end with, we're going we're gonna to have to sit in that pain for a long time and then, uh, another spoiler alert is season eight is going to be awesome. I mean, it's going to oh, uh, can't wait. Yeah. So it's going to uh, be a welcome yeah. resurrection day. Wow. Yeah. Sunday's coming. So where yeah. are you going to, where are you and your writing team going to take us in season two? Well, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm freshly shaven right now because uh, as of yesterday, because I shaved my writer's beard, I, I had been kind of in a bunker for a month. <laughs> Um, my writing time comes from about 11 at night to five in the morning. That's wow. my best writing. And so I've been on that schedule for now for uh, about a month. And um, 
Um, this is where we really start to explore what happens when the ministry starts to go public. Uh, there are wonderful things about that. The word spreads, and which means people are coming to get healed. People are coming to, to, to know Christ more, um, and that's a good thing. But with that comes controversy, with that comes hatred, with that comes enemies. Mm. Not only external, but even within the group. We start to explore um, what, what, what is it like for Simon and Andrew to have their tax collector as a member of their team, someone wow. that had betrayed them um, wow. and betrayed the Jewish people for years as a, working for the Romans. Well, Jesus just asked them to join the team just like that. Now they got to live together. Um, we're yeah. going to explore the, some of those relationships. Um, this season will not have quite as many of the kind of the big moment miracles that season one had. Um, not, and, and some people may say, oh, that's a bummer. But I think we also need to recognize that over the course of eight seasons, um, we can't just have a miracle of the week every time. It can't just be each episode. Right. We, 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 have to, we have to create something sustainable. We want to get you to know and watch these people and watch the show like you would any other show. So there's going to be episodes and even seasons where we take our time to really dig deeper into the meaning of what's happening, into the people, so that we're really connecting with them and identifying with them and seeing yeah. Jesus through their eyes. And the relationships that are building. It right. takes time to build those. So we yeah. love the conversations that they're having. We love the inside jokes, the laughing, the partying. Yeah, there'll be plenty of that. Good. Bring it on. Also, the uh, concepts of daily manna and loaves and fishes mean a lot to you, don't they? Can you tell us about the significance of those? You know, when I was uh, in January 20th, the morning of January 20th, 2017, it was inauguration day, President Trump uh, being inaugurated. And that morning was, uh, I had a, I had, I was in a good state because uh, my feature film that I had made with some of the biggest producers in Hollywood and was going to be the first of many movies I was going to be doing over the next 10 years with these guys was about to release in theaters. And then at about one o'clock in the afternoon, we were able to see the numbers. And once you see those early numbers, you're able to project what the rest of the weekend is going to be like. And it was immediately apparent that it was a, a failure. Uh, the numbers were lower than their lowest projections. And within a couple hours, I went from a director with a very bright future to a director with no future. And mm. all those companies that had gotten involved all you know, backed out of future plans. And I was home alone with my wife and we were crying and praying and confused and um, completely in chaos about why God had even allowed us to go through all this over the last couple of years. It did seem so good and he had seemed so so much a part of it. Mm -hmm. And then for it to just all go away, it just did not make sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, God just pressed very powerfully and clearly on my wife's heart, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And so we went into that scripture trying to figure out why. And we read it and saw things that we hadn't seen before. Um, even though we'd heard the story dozens of times. Um, and we noticed uh, very clearly two things. One, that God was in fact responsible. Jesus was in fact responsible for the hunger that led to the miracle. Mm. He had been talking for three days. Um, he had gotten the, the crowd hungry. It was Great his fault. insight. I've never thought of that. Right. And so we were like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he brought them to that place um, mm. of hunger. It was, like we said, it was his fault. And so uh, the second thing that we thought was interesting was that when it came time for the miracle, the thing that only he could do to answer that hunger, he still had the disciples do everything that they didn't need him for. He still had them gather the fish and loaves. Yeah. When yeah. he multiplied it, he had them distribute it. 
So mm-hmm. we didn't know what that meant, but we thought maybe it meant that there was going to be some miracle in the box office numbers that weekend. And uh, that didn't happen. So we just didn't know what it meant. Um, but that night at four o'clock in the morning, I was doing a memo, 15 page memo, analyzing everything that went wrong. A little 15 page memo. Yes. But analyzing what I did wrong as well. Oh, just so I you know, when I make a mistake, I don't want to make it again. And so I wanted to learn from it. Yeah. And up on my screen popped a message from a Facebook friend that I'd never even met. Wasn't even a close friend of mine. Didn't say hi. Didn't say hello. Just said, remember, your job is not to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. Unreal. And I remember in that moment wondering if my computer had been recording what we had been talking about that day. I just said, it was just such a bizarre thing to say when he had had no idea what my wife and I had been talking about. And I just said, why did you tell me that? And he said, well, that wasn't me. God just wanted me to share that with you. Whoa. And so that is a story. I, uh, but, but, but that moment um, changed my life because I knew instantly um, that God was in fact in that experience. Yeah. Uh, he had brought me to this point. He had brought me to the failure. He had brought me to the hunger where mm-hmm. I needed a miracle. But then he also was saying, it's my yes. job to do the 5,000. It's not your job to worry about those things. So I became a different person. And I genuinely, as I talk to you now, and I've, this, I think this has been clear. I, you're, you're someone who's behind the scenes. I think you would affirm this is that I, I genuinely don't worry about the future. I don't think about it, nor do I get excited about the future. I don't, I don't anticipate or project what God is going to do with the loaves and fishes that I provide. I just make sure that the ones that I do provide are as healthy as they can be. Hey, love. I'm just jumping in here real quick to point out the fact, you may have seen this, that Dallas is not afraid of the word failure. You know, don't you love a man who can admit when he's failed at something? That is a man worth respecting and following. The deeper beauty in this particular story is that Dallas acknowledges the fact that God not only allowed the failure, he even set it up, orchestrated it, so that Dallas and his wife Amanda would cry out for help. And then God gets all the credit in the end for taking something that appeared to be utterly sunk. You know, as much a fail as anything could possibly be, God takes that and then he turns it into something good. So how does this encourage you as you're embarking on your own creative journey? Here's more. And so when it came time to do the short film about the birth of Christ from, my, from the perspective of the shepherds, it was just for my church's Christmas Eve service. That's all it was intended to be. And it was just a few small loaves and a few small fish. I shot it on my friend's farm in Illinois. <laughs> that exploded into this show that led to the number one highest crowdfunded media project of all time. It led to oh. um, what's happening right now with this show. And, um, but yet what's interesting about it is it's always, it's happened at a pace where I've never been able to see the future or never been able to get too optimistic because we're on what my wife calls the manna program. Because when God <laughs> gave Israelites manna, he never allowed them to have more than what they needed for that day. In fact, he said, if you try to store it up, I'm going to make it rot. Mm. He wanted them dependent on him every day. And so this, yes. these last two years, when people look at the chosen, they think, oh my goodness, this is becoming such a huge success story. My gosh, it's around the whole world. It's changing the world. So we have videos online, you know, on YouTube that you can watch about the shooting process where the solutions always came at the last minute, just enough for that day. We never got ahead of ourselves. And that's this MANA, mana program that we've been on. And I, I, I actually 
even though it's not very fun and it doesn't allow me to relax too often, I don't think I'd change it because it's made me more reliant on God. And that's keeps you on your knees, man. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I want to honor your time. So I want to ask you a couple more questions. I have a few more minutes. Yeah. Okay, great. Tell us how directing has affected your parenting. <laughs> well, in some ways, I could say the, the, the question could be reversed. How has parenting affected my directing? Oh, very uh, good. Yes, uh, do tell. Well, I... Even um, better. And I say this to a lot of aspiring directors, and I say this to parents as well, because I, I speak to both. Mm-hmm. Um, I became a better director when I stopped... Well, not when I stopped, but when I, when I added books on leadership, books on um, the brain... I mean, when I started studying psychology and the brain and communication and um, mindset, I mean, there's a book called Mindset that had a huge influence on me as a parent and as a director, because Mm -hmm. it's about communicating um, with the mindsets that your children have or that those who you're working with have. Mm -hmm. So when I started reading books on relationships and communication and psychology and the brain, that made me a significantly better director and a significantly better parent. Excellent. Um, learning how to communicate um, because every person's different. I have, a, I have a cast and crew of over a hundred people that ultimately I have to, I have to deliver communication in a way that they not only understand, but that motivates them to act and yes. to, to love the project. And everyone's different. Right. And I'm someone who I'm a very specific personality and uh, I, don't, I don't immediately click with all different types of personalities. I don't think anyone does. And I think those who do usually are, are broken people who are eventually going to fall because they've spent too much time trying to please everybody. Yes. So I've, but I've learned how to communicate differently to each person based on what their needs are, what their wants are, what their personality is. And, and so that, that has made me a better parent and a better director. And I think then when I learn those lessons on the set, they affirm the lessons that I can learn as a parent and vice versa. And so it kind of becomes this never-ending improvement. Excellent. Well, I fall into both of those camps. I'm a writer, director, and a parent. So I really take those words to heart, and I'm going to get that book mindset. I've heard people talk about that in my coaching program. It's extraordinary. So, and if, yeah, especially as a coach, you've, you've got to – the mindset and the power of habit. Power two, of habit. Two books that have uh, changed my life and uh, – um, I think they, they're the kinds of books that go really well with, of course, Christian principles and, and, and spiritual leadership, but because they're not, they're not Christian books per se, but they, they very much, uh, they're, they're, they're life changers for sure. Good. What was it about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that made you want to be in film? Yeah, films? I saw the movie when I was a uh, freshman in high school and uh, it changed my life because I thought, whatever that is, I want to do that. Um, <laughs> that. The way that it aroused emotion in me I thought if I can arouse that kind of emotion in viewers, um, you know, I think at the time probably there was probably some motivation of narcissism, which is um, the other thing that I struggled with throughout a lot of my life was being was narcissistic tendencies and pursuing the removal of those tendencies also changed my life in many ways. But so that's a side note. But I think that like, oh, I'd love to, I'd love people to respond emotionally to my work was for sure a motivation. But I also did think, boy, I, I love movies and I love the Bible and I love my church and I love God, but yet they never seem to meet. I never seem to ever see a good movie that arouses emotion in me that I think would be good for my spiritual life. And, uh, and I think 
when you when when you look now to the to the shows that I'm making or to the episodes that I've done with the chosen, um, the thing that stood out about One for the Cuckoo's Nest was the reaction of other people to what was happening. So very quick analysis. There's a great scene in One for the Cuckoo's Nest when McMurphy, the protagonist, yeah. is denied the opportunity to watch television. Mm-hmm. He's denied the opportunity to watch the World Series because it's outside of their routine. Yep. And so he, he ends up going to the TV and making up his own game. He starts <laughs> broadcasting a fake game just because he pretends that he's watching. And the people around <laughs> him, their reactions are what make the scene so moving. It was golden. Oh, oh it was amazing. And so I remember when you watch the scenes in The Chosen, the miracles in The Chosen, I would venture to say that the majority of them, the reason that you're responding mo- emotionally mm-hmm. is because of the responses of the people watching. Mm-hmm. There's, and I make a point of, you know, mul- multiple miracles that take place in the show take place with multiple people all impacted. Yeah, and we we I, I directorially I take you from the person receiving the miracle to the person watching, to the person who's against it, whether it's a Pharisee or not or uh, whatever it is. We show multiple reactions because I think that that really contributes to the emotional tenor of the scene. And, and it I think makes that, me makes yeah. me wonder if you're going to have Lazarus and his resurrection come up because it it seems like. Jesus' description of that resurrection was so that others could see. Are you going to be doing a Lazarus scene? Well, I try not to give away the kind of stories <laughs> that, but but seeing as how that scene probably more is probably one of the top three scenes we most get requested. Oh, um, awesome! The reason, the reason that we will probably be doing that scene is because it is about emotion, uh, yeah. the, the, the emotion, the spiritual impact of it. I'm not interested for the purposes of this show in doing too many miracles that are just for the sake of kind wow. of the spectacle. Right. Um, just because the spectacle miracles, A, I feel like when people watch them, they're distracted by how we did it or trying to figure out how we did it and not by yeah. the miracle itself. Um, but it's really, the Lazarus scene is, is a very important scene because in the Gospels, it really illustrates a lot of Jesus's emotion, of course, um, but also the reactions of other people. So highly likely we'll do that scene. And one of the reasons why I want to do that scene is because it makes things very difficult for me. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. Um, There are multiple moments in the show and people that you're introduced to that might not get the same kind of wonderful experience that Jesus gives to other people. So Mm. he'll heal certain people. um, But when, as soon as I show him raising Lazarus from the dead, now over the course of eight seasons, we're going to meet people who end up dying. Mm, and wow. the question will be asked, why doesn't Jesus raise them from the dead? Mm. Um, and that's a question that I am very, very scared to answer or to yeah. even ask. Yeah. But I kind of putting myself in a position where I'm going to have to just because I think it's important. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I think I'd like to do that scene is because I think it creates a lot of theological problems. Um, <laughs> and and one of the things that I think is going to be interesting, and, and, and this is a perspective that I come from, a lot of people will ask, why is it that in the world, um, Jesus doesn't end the suffering of these people? Or why does he allow this child to suffer? Why does he allow yeah. this person? Um, literally five minutes before I came on with you, I got a text from my brother that one of our close friends growing up uh, just passed away. Oh, um, and sorry. he died of cancer. I haven't had time to really process it much because I've, I've been doing this conversation with you, which I'm happy to do. But here's my point. Um, he, he has th- young children. 
He's in his early 40s. Um, his loss is very painful. Um, he didn't get healed. He's a believer. I'm sure he and many others prayed for healing. Oh. It, didn't, it didn't come. Yeah. Uh, it's happened many times. I've lost good friends. I've lost family members many times. And oftentimes the question is, why didn't God heal them? Mm. Why didn't God um, step in and, and fix it? I think a more interesting and compelling question is, why did he heal those who he did? Mm, was, either whether, it was, whether it was at the time that Jesus was on this earth, in which he healed people like he was going out of style, or today when we do know that there have been several supernatural healings uh, just you know, each day, they happen all over the world. Right. And considering that we all die eventually, yeah. and considering that suffering is so good for so many, my greatest pains of my life have brought me closer to Christ. Yes, the that's question when we is, grow. If, if suffering is when we grow, and yeah. it undoubtedly is, yeah. and if pain, and if uh, sickness, and disease, and loss, and struggles, and financial struggles are absolutely part of God's plan and absolutely what usually drive us closer to him, then why is it that he does heal certain people? Why is it that Jesus healed so many people when he was on earth? Why didn't he always walk around going, no, no, you're supposed to suffer. Remember, it's the, it's the message he gave to the, to the disciples um, when they were in the, in the upper room and the disciples were all martyred in horrific ways. So wow. why didn't he heal? Why, did he, why didn't he give that same message to, to so many people when he was preaching um, before he died? That's an interesting question that I'm, I'm scared to, but I feel compelled to explore uh, during season one. That will definitely be a challenge. Yeah, season two. Um, I so, yeah, wonder, did, I say, did I say season one? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, seasons, seasons two through eight. Yes. <laughs> the fact that you welcome a challenge like that makes me wonder, have you done the Enneagram? Yes. Are you an eight by chance? Uh, I don't remember, yeah. but okay. I, I, I know that people who know me immediately go, oh, yeah, I, it's a seven or an eight. What's, whatever the one, there's one yeah. that's it's one of those two. It's like really intense and, yeah. and usually, usually the leader and usually dogmatic and opinionated. <laughs> and I'm like, um, oh, that's for man. sure. I don't know which one that is, but um, yeah, I think I'm an eight. Well, um, my last official question for you, Dallas, what's your favorite Jars of Clay song? Gosh, you've done your research, haven't you? That's really impressive. <laughs> Um, no, I, I that's really great because you brought up all my influences, and so I'm 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 impressed. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, jars of clay changed my life. I was just talking about this a week ago with my wife because the first jars of clay album came out when I was like a freshman in college, freshman or sophomore in college. You're so young. Oh uh, well, yeah, I'm forty. I'm turning forty-five in two months. So I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm getting there, but um, but I will say that um, when I first heard their album, I thought is not just good for being a Christian album. It's legitimately good in a vacuum. Absolutely. And it sounds different and it's, and, it's, and it's doing new things that other people aren't doing. It was, I was, it was so amazing. And I remember when I ended up meeting Dan Hasseltine, who's the lead singer and songwriter for yeah. the band, um, I told him, you, you've, you've changed my life. You're, 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 you're making me a better filmmaker. Like I want to do in my career the equivalent of what you're doing. We ended up becoming mm. very, very close friends. He's actually the co-composer for the score of, of the chosen yeah, the music and the music in season one, the music yeah. in season one is just extraordinary. Um, yeah. It's exactly what I was hoping for from him. It's unique and fresh. Uh, that's a very long answer to your question, but, um, <laughs> but the, um, my favorite song is probably like a child faith, like a child from their first album. Yes. Um, beautiful song. And, uh, but they've got a few, 
um, throughout over the years. I have for sure like a top 20. They have a song called Silence from their 11th Hour album um, that is so hauntingly beautiful. I have listened to that song probably 500 times. um, And and because it's just so, it's, it's the whole song is like, it's, it's a, it's a plea to God. Where are you? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's silent and, um, and I'm, I'm broken right now and I want to know where, where you are. And uh, Mm -hmm. I sometimes can't tell the difference, you know, uh, sorting through the wreckage and the pain. Um, uh, And and in this empty waste, I'm looking for you. You know, it's just a beautiful song and Mm -hmm. I've felt that many times in my life. So, uh, so I think that those two songs are my favorites. Well, can I ask, where do you go when you feel that God is being silent? What do you do well, with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I for sure, um, oftentimes, I'll just, I just out and say it. I mean, I just out and say to God, I, I, I don't know what you have for me right now. Um, I, I'm not someone, I wish I was better at this. I, wish, I, re- I really wish I was better at this. And I think, I, I think it's probably a flaw in my spiritual life is I don't regularly, like daily seek out God's voice um, mm-hmm. as much as I should. Um, it tends to be in, in specific times. And, uh, and so uh, there's the, the barn where I shot the, the shepherd, where I shot the, the short film about the birth of Christ. Yeah. has been where I've gone a few times. My friend owns it and it's just a very quiet farm. And I walk mm. around and I just, I try to listen, you know, mm. and um, I don't hear God's audible voice, but I do, I do feel like he presses very strongly on my heart. Um, important, important things. And that's happened a lot with the show. It happened to me in Israel when I was in Magdala. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like, you know, I probably need to do it more, much more often than I do. Can you tell us what, I, I know I told you less, you tell me if you need to go, but this, I promise will be the last question. Yeah, I can do one more. This is, that's fine. Has there ever been a time when you were shooting and you, you felt a supernatural impartation, like the Holy Spirit just took over a scene? Yeah. Yes. I want to be careful when I, when I say things like that, just because I don't want to claim spiritual authority with this show. Yeah. Um, I'm not a pastor and I don't, um, so I don't have a spiritual authority over a congregation where, uh, you know, and I think, I think there's a lot of Christian organizations um, that will claim an anointing or claim that God is speaking through them. And, and I'm very, very careful with that. Um, because I don't want the viewers to start putting a certain level of trust in me beyond what I deserve as a very flawed human being. Well, the reason um, I ask that, if I can interject, is it's yeah. not about you, you know, because yeah. like I remember when Shirley MacLaine did Out on a Limb, remember? I've got yeah. a few years on you. I'm 57. Yeah. So I remember this very well. And when she was shooting that film, she talked about calling on entities from other places and how faithful they were to come through for her and move objects in the room. It was really, it was wild hearing her talk about these spirits. So I feel like we have all the more reason to boast about when the spirit moves. Oh, sure. And no, and I'm I'm just using that as a precursor to what I was going to share, which is um, I would say that when it comes to uh, there's, I think there's two ways that this has happened. One is we, we have a very popular video about, the shooting of the, of the miracle of the fish scene in episode mm. four. And we take you through what God did in that whole story. I'll link to all the course of three or four days. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, three days before we shot the scene of the miracle of the fish, we had no fish, no boat, no lake. So <laughs> what God did now, when we were on the set, was there some sort of manifestation like what you'd experience in, in, 
and oftentimes Pentecostal type services, uh, you know, no. Um, and I'm, and I'm not, I, I'm, I, that doesn't fit my, my, my style anyway. However, uh, on that, to, to, to be clear, there have been many moments during shooting when something goes wrong or something doesn't work and we're forced to, or, or an idea that I had didn't work. And then something comes in at the last minute that just pops that makes it 10 times better than if I had have gotten my way. And I do believe that's the Holy Spirit 100%. Another thing that's happened many times is that in scenes, and this is where I, I, I'm very uncomfortable with sharing names or anything like that, because I don't speak to the spiritual moments of, of other people. Yeah. But I will say it's happened many times where and, and you, when you're watching a scene in season one and Jesus is calling someone to follow him or he is causing them to forcing them to make a decision about you know, whether he's Messiah or not, um, when, he, when they are faced with that moment of a miracle or of a calling or whatever it is, the actors playing those roles, almost without exception, have had a profound emotional moment that they can't explain. Most of them are not believers. Mm. And so they'll say to me, I, I love that. I'm sorry, I couldn't stop crying during that line. I couldn't say wow. that line without crying. And I've said, well, that's because even though you're acting, I, I do believe that when you're faced with that moment um, of, of making a decision and you're in character, especially, and you're making a decision about Jesus, yeah. um, God, God does something. And, and I'm not going to over-spiritualize the script or the moment, but I, will, I do know that I've just seen it happen many times. Awesome. And Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, is not Jesus. The first, <laughs> right. one, the first one to tell you that. But in those <laughs> moments, and when they're speaking words from Scripture, yeah. when they're reenacting moments that really did happen, yeah. Where Jesus, the creator of the universe, forced a human being to make a decision about who he was. Yeah. There's something about that that the Holy Spirit took, takes over and is in that room. Supernatural, and, uh, man. It's happened many, many times. And I think, there's, I think there's a reason that when people watch the show, and I've heard this from pastors, I've heard this from um, spiritual leaders, whatever it is, who've said over and over, when I watch this show, I can't explain it, but I feel the hand of God on it. I feel the Holy Spirit in it. You know, I, I, it just feels anointed, and I don't say that often. And we and can like feel it. that through the screen. Yeah, and they're, the they're saying it over and over, and I'm saying, I, uh, all I can tell you is I feel the same way when I'm writing it or when I'm directing it. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough, Dallas. Have a great evening with your family. I, I yeah. so appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. It was a beautiful, wonderful interview, Bless and thank you, you for, doing the, for doing the research. You're uh, very professional. <laughs> Shucks, he was so encouraging. Wow, wasn't he just the perfect mix of leader and tender shepherd? Didn't I tell you? I hope you see, love, that your art does matter. Remember Dallas's words, it's not up to you to feed the 5,000. Your job is just to bring what you have in your hands, remain faithful, and do the thing to the best of your ability. And if there's room for you to grow in the skills department, by all means, take a class. So many schools and programs have gone online. It could not be easier now. I have some suggestions for you. Email me at carthymasters at gmail.com and let's see where this goes. Hmm. You may be asking, how can hiring you, Carthy, as a coach help me get creative? Well, I'll tell you this. When you hear someone echo back to you the song in your heart, especially someone who's professionally trained to do that, there's power there. 
People have told me all my life I'm a good listener, and I always wanted to be good at something else instead. But recently, I started appreciating and cultivating that gift deposited in me and actually started taking classes to do it right. And I've experienced what being heard and validated can do for a person's soul, including my own. When you clear your emotions or stress, it frees up space in your heart and mind to dream and write or paint or create beauty in all kinds of ways. Speaking of clearing, do you remember me telling you, this was like four and a half years ago, I had spent about $4,000 on this light frequency machine to help me with stress and pain and some other Lyme symptoms that I've dealt with. You don't remember me telling you this? I can't believe you don't remember every little thing I've ever mentioned here in passing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't expect you to remember much. I, I don't even expect me to remember much. <laughs> but it's true. I do have this light frequency machine that cost me more than $4,000, actually. But now I have this new tiny device that hooks up to the Bluetooth in my iPhone. It's so much easier. And I get all the frequencies without lugging around this big, heavy light machine, which took up two suitcases. You guys are always asking me how I'm feeling with all my autoimmune issues and how I'm doing all the things that I'm doing. I so appreciate it. Well, I can tell you, this is one thing that has done much to improve my quality of life. About a thousand percent. I, I had terrible back pain the other day, and this Healy thing targeted that pain. I am not kidding. The pain that had me up all night, it was gone in a matter of minutes. It was unbelievable. Also, I've dealt with some anxiety in recent days, as I hear many of you have. I hear from many of you. When I set the frequencies accordingly, I start to feel calm and cool and collected. <laughs> the beauty of this little contraption is it's about a two-inch square, and I'm holding up my hands right now as if you can see me. <laughs> it's teeny tiny, and it costs about a tenth of what I'd paid for the earlier big old machine. And oh my goodness, it is worth every penny. I don't get anything from Healy for mentioning this here. I just, you know, when you find something that really helps, you want to shout it from the mountaintop. So I am shamelessly making a plug for the Healy machine here. It was designed and manufactured in Germany, and it just got FDA approval here in the States, which is a rare thing I'm hearing. There are frequencies for everything from headache to backache to stress to anxiety. I'm looking at my little device right now. I could go on for an hour about this, but I'm going to spare you. Email me if you have any questions about Healy, carthymasters at gmail.com, and ask me about specials on coaching packages and or the Healy. If you end up ordering a Healy from me, I do get points for that. So reach out, and I'm happy to tell you all about it. CarthyMasters at gmail.com. Like I've been telling you for the past year or so, the lines between screenwriting and life coaching grow strangely dim in my mind. They blur together beautifully, and after hearing from Dallas today, you can see why. There's so much overlap between the two worlds. 
It's so clear, isn't it, that Dallas Jenkins was born to do this. If you're a fellow screenwriter, you never know how your film might be affecting one of the actors on your set or a crew member, let alone how God can use your thing, your project, your art, to make his name known to those who read your work or actually view the finished product. But again, that goes for you no matter what form your art takes or how big your audience is. You don't have to have 44 million views. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, the numbers. It's probably twice that by now. By the time you hear this, I don't know. I do hope you have a blast creating and that you sense God's pleasure as you're doing it. Oh, and you'll be happy to know that I finally did get my devotional. They've restocked, and I'm going to read you just a little excerpt from today's reading in The Chosen Devotional so you can get a feel for why I love it so much. If you haven't gotten yours yet, you're going to want to after you hear this. The everyday language is just like you and I talk to each other. Very conversational. And like Dallas said, the insights are really fresh and deep. Here's today's reading. It's day six. (laughs) just because I got it six days ago. The Chosen Devotional, 40 Days with Jesus, by Amanda Jenkins, Kristen Hendricks, and Dallas Jenkins. Simply put, Jesus spoke by his own authority. He was never at a loss for how to respond to questions or how to interpret the law. He wrote it. He didn't fear the Romans or any other governing body. Empires rose and fell by his word. The authority with which he spoke was his own. He is the one who whispered the world into existence, who holds planets in orbit and mountains in their place, who commands tides to rise and orchards to bloom, who created things like E minor and puppies, who rose from the dead and will all give account to him one day. So yeah, his preaching was worth the trip. Isn't that just so fresh? I just love it. Get your copy of The Chosen Devotional on thechosen.tv or on the app or on Amazon. You know what? Get a couple. Give one to a friend. Do download the app, The Chosen, and watch all the episodes and pay it forward. It's, it's a great program, and you get to allow someone, sometimes on the other side of the world, and you get these thank you notes. It's so sweet. There's just a couple of ways for you to live out love. Till next time, bye, love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented producer, engineer extraordinaire, and my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back and we'll talk more about cultivating a kingdom community by nurturing the creative in you. They say that I can walk on water with faith like a child. I love the little whistle thing. Whee!